The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Absolutely loaded weekend of baseball, and we're bringing you in this new week on the Just Baseball Show. It's Monday, May 23rd. Jack McMullen, Aram Layton, Tim Anderson is a freaking superstar. We're going to get into that right away. Um, I also want to walk you through Albert Pujols' splits by day because it's hilarious. Albert Pujols on Sundays in 2022 is Barry Bonds. Um, We've got a lot of young guys either making their major league debut or getting recalled or getting their contracts selected. It was a phenomenal week and weekend for that, and it will be a great week for that as well. But, I mean, dude, the baseball was just exciting this weekend. Yeah, I mean, we're seeing really either fun baseball from some of the most exciting teams or even the crappy teams are calling up, you know, their young studs. And and I guess the Cardinals are a good team, but even, you know, Nolan Gorman's debut with Matthew Libertor just reignited this level of interest, even though I, I would say the Cardinals are extremely interesting just another notch to it. The Orioles though, are a better example of what I'm getting at, which is just, I would rarely want to watch the Orioles. Like, you know, really just don't care that much. I like watching Mullins. I like watching individual guys, but I mean, how much are we signing up for Orioles games? Adley Rutschman was much must see TV. And uh, I I had so much fun, even if he didn't play well, I had fun just watching that guy take the moment in watching how much he changed the vibe in that stadium, which has been so dead. For yeah. the last several years since JJ Hardy was at short. Yeah. This is a different vibe that only a player like Adley Rutschman can can do. Like that's only someone like him can inject this kind of life into what was a very much floundering dead franchise, looking in the right direction, but in terms of the big league level, pretty dead at, at Camden Yards. And, and here's the thing: like you'll get that type of injection of life when Grayson Rodriguez comes mm-hmm. up too. But that's only one out of every five days. Like you might only catch him once every two weeks at home. With Adley, when you go to the ballpark, you're going to see Adley Rutschman this year, every day. which is so exciting. And he makes every pitch entertaining because he's a great defensive catcher. We talk about the offense, obviously, the at-bats are must-see TV. But, I mean, th- he makes every pitch entertaining because you want to see how he frames and you want to see how he deals with runners. It's really fun to take that type of stuff in. And then you've got Gorman and Libby. You've got Rowansi Contreras coming right back up. We are on a great youth infusion in baseball at the moment. But um, we'll go a little bit deeper uh, into those. Off the top, I just got to say that Tim Anderson is a superstar. I do. And we're not going to spend any time on the Tim Anderson Donaldson thing because, you know, like whatever your opinion is on that, whatever. I think Donaldson's an idiot. I think he's been an idiot for a while, but that's aside the point. Tim Anderson, something pissed him off that Josh Donaldson did. 
and he decided to go yard 24 hours later. That's so badass. This guy rises to the moment, I think, better than anybody else in Major League Baseball. And, it, like, didn't we all know that Tim Anderson was going to go yard? Like, that's, that's the thing that really makes it amazing. Again, don't really need to get into the details and the specifics of it. What was very much the objective truth was Tim Anderson was upset. And we knew because Tim Anderson was upset that he was going to go yard in today's game. Like, that's the way he is. It's like Dame time at the end of a basketball game, right? When, when you know Dame is right and, and it's the end of a game, you're expecting, you're surprised if he doesn't make it. Like yeah. Tim Anderson, for me, that's how it is in the big moment. We talked about it before we were recording, you know, with just the Field of Dreams game and what we saw right. over there. Like, that was another one where I'm like, he's doing something right here. And now I think we're conditioned, big moment, we're, we assume Tim Anderson is going to do something. And, you know, I, that's why I didn't even take the victory lap when he hit the home run after I sent it in the chat because it was like, I think a lot of people thought this. If you search on Twitter, I bet thousands of other people quote unquote predicted this. Cause like, that's how Tim Anderson is. And that is such a cool quality to have that it's hard to really even put into words other than clutch and a superstar uh, in the respect of rising to the big moments. Yeah. Purely coincidental, but he went oppo and pimped both of them. The field of yeah. dreams walk off. And then this one in the eighth, like yeah, that was awesome. How he goes oppo and he knows it off the bat. If he didn't know it off the bat, it would make it a lot less cool. No, and it's funny because I actually have not seen the video yet because we're recording this not too long after it happened. I've seen, I was watching the game live. I was like, let's wait and see what happens. And, you know, we agreed and we're like, let's watch it. We saw the home run live, but we didn't really see what the pimp job looked like yet. So I'm waiting on that side angle that we're going to get on social media or if you and I have to go on the research tool to go check it out because the league feed didn't show, uh, you know, what the pimp job was. It kind of cut away from him. I think it was because they didn't know it was gone. Off yeah. the bat, they probably thought it was a double in the gap. So I'm excited to see, you know, how, how Tim Anderson pimped that thing. And here's the thing with him. One, one thing I want to say with T.A. before we go on to like another topic is, you know, I think everyone agrees he's a very, very good shortstop. And a lot of people would want them on their team unless you have one of the, you know, five most elite shortstops in the game. But it's such a loaded position with defense being such a like a valuable aspect of it. And we know that the advanced metrics don't love Tim Anderson. But the guy continues to hit 300 plus every year. He gets on base at a 350, 340 clip. He will mix in 15 to 20 home runs. He'll mix in 15 to 20 stolen bases. And you know he's going to put the bat on the ball and, and make the plays he needs to make. Where, you know, where does he rank up here? Because at this point now, he's hitting, what, 360? I don't know what it's going to be after this game. He's hitting 350 coming into it. He has five home runs now. He already has seven stolen bases. Like we're talking about a guy that, yes, he's struggling defensively, but offensively here, this is one of the most elite hitters in the game. I don't know if he's going to keep it going, but right now he's one of the best hitters in the game. Like, when are we going to talk about him like that? Okay, quick trigger exercise. Um, I'm going to name shortstops, and you tell me yes or no. From this point through the end of the 2022 season, do you want Tim Anderson or this guy? And, and I'm going to go. This is not just fight. offensively. We're talking about like all around. We're talking about everything. We're talking about the game, like the, the gamer type brutal. thing. The defense has been brutal, and that's 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 the big drawback, right? Yeah, but T.A. is a superstar, dude. I mean, I we just talked about that. He's a superstar. What he does for a clubhouse, what he does to ignite the White Sox, you got to you know bring that into perspective here. So just like I'm scanning for the best shortstops in the game right now, and I'm thinking, who would I want over Tim Anderson through the end of 2022? Obviously, Fernando Tatis Jr. when he's healthy. Okay. Yeah. Um, right. Bo Bichette. That's that's the craziest thing coming into this year. Everybody and their moms would have said Bo Bichette, you know, no doubt 
coming into the season. I think that just would have been the vibe. To me, it would be dumb to, to not take Tim Anderson. Bo Bichette has his own defensive struggles. They may even be even more egregious. And offensively, yeah, Bichette hits for some power, but give me the consistency from TA. I think it's an O'Rainer TA right now. That okay. Moving forward for the rest of their careers, I'm obviously still taking Bichette, but for the rest of this year, the way that they both don't walk, one of them hits the ball all the time, though. Yep. So rest of the year, we're taking Tatis over TA. JP Crawford, he's had a great start to the year. Oof. I, I would probably... That's getting close, dude. It, yeah. With the defense that JP plays. Again, it really goes into what you value. I think that's a coin flip. I really think... And the fact that it's a coin flip, again, testament to the offense because JP is, has been great defensively, but TA is that good offensively. Can we say coin flip? Can I take a push? Yeah, there? we'll say coin flip. So JP Crawford's a coin flip. How about Jeremy Pena? Oh, God. It's hard, uh, right? The rest of this year, again, you're like, dude, you don't know if Pena hits a wall, but honestly, I would, I would think Pena right now. He's one of the best defenders in baseball. Okay. How about Corey Seager? You got to take Seager, right? Yeah, I think so. Um, Correa? Yeah, taking Correa. Bobby Witt? I'm taking TA over Bobby TA, Witt this year. TA over Witt the rest of this year. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking who else could possibly be a contender for this? I'm taking TA over Brandon Crawford. Easy. Um, I'm taking uh, Trey Turner. I'll take Trey Turner over. Yeah, I'll take sure. Trey Turner. I think Wander. Um, yeah, I'll take Wander. Yeah. So I, honestly, maybe I had, we answered my own question here. Is the, the the positions just too loaded? It's loaded, but I I think right now, like I don't think you could sneak five names past me without me doing some serious thinking on it. Yeah, I, I think that's fair too. So it's but it's also it, it's because Tim Anderson is so untraditional at the position, or maybe he is super traditional of what we're used to in the past, but now it's something that's trended away in the future and without getting into the Derek Jeter thing. But a lot of people in today's game would say, move that guy from short. And I think if Derek Jeter debuted today, he wouldn't have made it that many games at short No, because the things that matter today, the things that can be quantified today uh, matter back then. They didn't, you can't fault Jeter for that because no one told him he, he needed to play a little bit differently. And you know, anybody else would have been moved to second, but I do really think that in today's game, the fact that we value different things like is what really makes Tim Anderson not the best. And if he was playing in the, in the 90s or even early 2000s, I think Tim Anderson's considered a no-brainer top three shortstop. Oh, baseball, easy. Based oh, on my what God, we easy. So isn't it crazy to think about that, how much the game has changed and the player like Tim Anderson is not as nearly as valued as he would have been 15 years ago? Well, whenever we bring up Tim Anderson, we hear Babbitt Merchant, right? We, we hear, oh, this guy just gets lucky on balls in play. You know, he's got a very high clip on that. You don't hear that in 2005. And you can't you quantify clutch. And you can't count. And you have a lot of people that will, will say clutch doesn't exist. It's kind of those same people, which I agree with a lot of what they're saying. Clutch is a very difficult thing. But that's what makes Tim Anderson almost like the anti-analytics player. Yeah. Let's nip that in the bud. What's your take on clutch? Does it exist? Does it not exist? How does it function? I shouldn't have brought that up. Uh, it exists to me. It objectively exists because as someone who played and also had like even not even a professional level, but someone who played baseball and also dealt with like very anxious moments and times where definitely the nerves did affect the way I felt uh, in the box and my confidence at that moment in the box. Like, I, I don't think that everybody feels that way, but I do think there's a facet of people who feel that way and it impacts them. And I think there's a facet of people who take that adrenaline rush and translate it into something that helps them, which locks them in even more. Okay, and those so people are what they say built different. There are people built different, and those are the clutch players. So Their heart rate think, stays neutral. 
Your heart, it's objectively true. Yes. Your heart rate is higher if you're nervous, lower if you're not. Correct. Okay. So like that Mahomes thing, when he was wearing the whoop yes. and his heart rate was whoop, sorry, not, not whoop, 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 but his heart rate was higher when he was on the sideline, when Josh Allen had the ball than when he was on the field. Like because he that, was out of control. Because he was out of control. So he was more nervous there. Um, I, I think you and I are thinking very similarly here where I don't think that it's a certain person rising to the occasion. I think everybody's got a baseline here. And I think in the heat of the moment, in the heat of serious moments, the overwhelming majority of professional athletes and people in general take a step down because yep. the moment is too big for them. They get nervous. And I think the people that stay at that level are the ones that are perceived as rising the moment, hence clutch. So it's guys that stay the same in pressure-packed situations that I think are labeled as clutch. Yes, exactly. That's, that's where I'm at because it's everyone's like, oh, this is the big moment. And we feel the nerves on the couch. Well, you think the players can't feel it then? If you feel it on your couch, what do you think they're feeling? They're still human beings. Like we keep forgetting that. And if you have those nerves where you're at, that you can't even focus on what's going on around you, right. how do you think they feel? Uh, so it, it to me, it's almost dehumanizing to pretend that clutch doesn't exist. Again, it's not some person that becomes a magician uh, with, with a big situation. It's a person that stays who they are in that yes. big situation. So I agree with you 100%. Exactly. And, and I think TA is that guy. <laughs> TA is that guy. And, and just one more analogy, I think free throws best embodied that, right? Because any NBA player, you put them at the free throw line in an empty gym, they're making 98 out of 100. The thing is, like, there are a lot of guys that will miss two free throws at the end of the game because the moment's too big for them. And the ones that are quote unquote clutch are the ones that do what they do in an empty gym. So that's what Tim Anderson does. Yeah, 100%. Uh, Kopech's a dog. Yes. That's the biggest that. thing to ever happen to White Sox player development because they've been shit on left and right. I mean, the Yohan Moncada thing, they got shit on for that. There have been so many guys that I have thought were the next coming. But the way that they've dealt with Kopech, who was the filler in that sale deal? I mean, Kopech and Moncada were like the two main pieces to come over in that sale deal from Boston. Um, he came up, made his debut. Tommy John opted out of 2020. This guy has been through the ringer. He was the best swingman in baseball last year. And then all of a sudden, you know, five years later, after he was this blue chip prospect, he is a frontline starter. Did you see this coming? No. So here's the thing is no, but are you surprised? Yeah, a little bit. Really? A little so bit. Like, here's the thing. I, I would not have bet on this happening, but he's so gifted that I'm not shocked, right? Like, I feel like you knew this was in him. We always knew this was in him. You knew it was in him, but I feel like after like four years, you have to shift this scale of what he could become. I, I agree. I agree, but but when I look at it, Tommy John, 96% success rate. You know, 98% success rate, maybe now. Um, and then really the next year that he misses is is not a physical ailment. You know, it's it's you know something that was affecting him off the field. And you know, that's his matter. And thank goodness it seems like he's got a control on that. That's also not something that you know fully can impact your ceiling. Um, you know, so I'm like, okay, Tommy John treatable, uh, off the field issues that he is, he seems to be taken care of. Now he's back. He could just be well-rested and stronger than he was before. It's very unlikely. I mean, not very, I would say it's more likely not than it does, but it, it happened. And he was a guy that used to throw one Oh five. So yeah, that's kind of my thing on it is like, he was a freak freaks can still try to figure it out on a lesser scale. Look at like Matt Bush, that right. guy somehow found his way back to the major leagues after prison. 
not nearly who he would have been as the number one shortstop in the draft, top overall pick. But this guy's such a freak that he still made it to the big leagues. Like, there's just guys like that to me. Right. So I was thinking that Kopech could be a freaky four. Like I was thinking he could be a back of the rotation guy. I was not expecting him to go seven shutout at Yankee Stadium on Sunday Night Baseball. And I mean, have what? He's got a sub three ERA right now, sub two and a half ERA. I'll tell you what, I I never imagined him being that, uh, I I guess, just that polished uh, on that kind of stage. No, I always thought big strikeouts guy that who could implode from time to time. And I agree. Like when you look at the end of the season, he's a four low four ZRA guy, high three ZRA guy, but he gave you some nasty outings and won you ball games by himself. Like, but this is a guy now that is almost more consistent. He's a consistency guy. And you know why? Because he's sitting now 95 to 97. Uh, which is way off what he used to try to sit. I mean, yes. he was a guy that was sitting 90 101 and reaching for 104. He realized now like that, that doesn't really matter. And, and you can look across the game. Once you hit 97 to 98 miles an hour, the difference between 98 to 102 really in the swinging strike scale doesn't really matter. Uh, it, there's like some awesome charts on this. Uh, I think driveline did a good one. And what does still impact the swinging strike percentage is the spin rate. Yeah. Like it's better to have a, a, a high spin fastball at 93 or 94, I think is where the scale tipped than a 101 mile an hour low spin fastball. The OPS against was way worse for the 93 mile an hour fastball with high spin. So if you could spin the hell out of it and locate it at 95 to 97, instead of kind of flailing with it at 99 to 101, it's a no brainer. I think these are still the top two starters in fastball spin. Julio Urias, Joe Musgrove. They don't sniff 98. They're 93 to 95 with their fastball, but they're 2,500 RPM guys. And I mean, that thing lives at the top of the zone and they get weak contact in the air. It's beautiful to watch them throw that fastball. And you're right. And I've seen those maps. You know, you look at a dead zone fastball. There are a lot of 100 mile an hour fastballs that are dead zone fastballs where they're just running right into barrels. And that's not good. Kopech has figured it out. Yeah, Hunter Green, exactly. Um, But I mean, Kopech, he's figured that out. Uh, And I was watching a Kopech start. It might have been earlier last week, his start before this Sunday night gem that he just twirled against the Yankees last night in the Bronx. Uh, And Jason Benetti, the TV voice of the White Sox, mentioned that he showed Kopech a Twitter video put out from his first major league start. And he just showed him Kopech's face. And he said, can you believe you looked like this? And Kopech was like, no, I look so young. That dude has changed so much since his major league debut. He looks entirely different. He pitches entirely different. And you know what? He's come out the other side. This is a way better version of Michael Kopech. A hundred percent. You know, it just seems like in every aspect of his life, it just seems like he's more under control. Even the interviews, it just, everything seemed, there's much more of a calm over him now. And he just uh, got back from paternity leave. Shout out yeah. him having a kid. Oh, nice. Congratulations. on That's crazy. So, I mean, when I look at him now, though, on the mound specifically, if we're just talking about the mound, like he just looks way more under control out there where it's just I'm, I'm spotting up 95, 96. And I'm trying to to set up my arsenal here. And, you know, it's fast forcing fastball slider and the occasional curveball that he's mixing in. And he got whiffs on all of them. But what was amazing to me is he had one pitch and it was it was the last out, right? The strikeout of Florial. And and these are the kind of pitches that really tell me a lot about a guy's fastball. If we're talking about the spin and, and it's my everybody knows pitch, which 
like I, I call it that because everybody in the stadium knows that a fastball is coming. So the hitter knows the fastball is coming. And that means they're usually likely to hit those pitches, right? When you get a whiff on the everybody knows pitch, that's when you know the fastball has just this different profile to it, yeah. right? When, when you get a swing, on a, a swing and a miss on a pitch that every 40,000 people in the stadium know that fastball is coming, that's a good fastball. And th- those are isolated moments, but those are the things you can't quantify that actually stand out to me. And he got Floreal on the everybody knows fastball on his 90th pitch, I think, or something like that. This playoff rotation is going to be dumb, man. If the offense gets healthy, if the offense continues to click, and I mean, Andrew Vaughn looks good. He just gave the big hit before that TA home run. Um, they got to stop experimenting with Larry Garcia. But if they do get to the postseason and they get into a five-game set or a seven-game set, this Giolito, Kopech, Cease, and a healthy Lance Lynn is going to be dangerous. And, and I'll be honest, man. Did Lance Lynn have like a tough stretch at some point last year, like early on or at some point? Not early on. Um, it was towards the tail end. He caught a blip in the radar, but his problem was in the postseason. I think there's, that just left I, a sour note in everybody's head. That's all because I'll be honest. I always want to be transparent with this stuff. And like I, I knew Lance Lynn had a good year, but I hadn't really looked back at the numbers in a while because he hasn't pitched. And um, I just went back to look at the numbers and I was surprised. I had forgotten how good he was, he was amazing. on a macro scale. 269 ERA, 33 FIP, 10 Ks per nine, 2.5 walks per nine, and 28 starts. I mean, that's fantastic. I would have never thought that he was that good last year. Like the bad taste, as you mentioned, really almost made me forget about that. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, this is a crazy boost. Like, I was going to ask you, are we sure he's going to be that good when he comes back? Like, he should be. He should he be. He should be. He should Maybe he's be. a three, three guy. That's a huge boost. Yes. And everybody's going to have that soured taste because the last time we saw him, he was facing the Astros. The Astros lineup last year was one of the best at hitting fastballs and Lance Lynn. I mean, he pretty much throws off different variations. Matchup nightmare. Matchup nightmare. Matchup nightmare. And he had to start two games in that series and he got shelled naturally because he faced a great fastball hitting team. So I, I think when Lynn is on and I think he will be when he comes back from this now, I don't know what he's going to look like when he comes back from this, but assuming full health, I think Lynn's going to be on. And I think this team is going to hit a stretch. Like when they lost eight in a row earlier this year, they're going to win eight in a row. And people are going to be looking at the White Sox like, oh, this is the team that we were promised. I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm happy to hear some optimism out of you, man. Just a little See, bit. You're, just you're feeling teeth. yourself already now. But no, I like it. And it's good. It's good for baseball. I want I want the Chicago teams to be good. I want the New York teams to be good. I, I I don't really care about Boston that much. I, I do think it's good for <laughs> baseball. Good. It's good for baseball and Boston's good, but I don't think it's the same as New York, LA. Uh, Texas teams doesn't matter like that. I really think it's just the New Yorks and the LAs of the world. And honestly, the Cardinals, those are, those are the teams that I'm sure I'm missing one or two, yeah. but that it's just different when, they, when they're in it and, and people want to watch and people have familiarity with them historically. So remind me to come back to Sandy for a moment, because we were just talking about my team. Uh, I want to talk about Sandy because Sandy should be getting, you know, Cy Young consideration when this is all said and done, because I think he's going to go well over 200 innings again. But you just mentioned the Cardinals. Steven Matz threw four pitches. He was lifted. Um, Before that start on Sunday morning, Matthew Liberator was optioned back down to Memphis after his major league debut on Saturday in Pittsburgh. Final line on Libby. Four and two thirds, seven hits, four earned runs, 
three strikeouts, two walks, 88 pitches, 51 for strikes. Yeah, not the best. Uh, probably not the best outing, but you know, I, I didn't think he had this look of a guy that didn't belong or had a look of a guy that, you know, couldn't figure it out up there. I, I just think this is a team that that doesn't have the patience at this moment to really be able to say, hey, uh, work through it all with us up here right now, right? Uh, I just don't think they can do that when you have, you know, the, the win now necessity of this team that, you know, has three guys on their last leg that are still playing integral roles and will get into pool holes. Uh, you know, even Goldie isn't getting any younger. So unfortunately, it, it's going to be a little difficult to develop at the same time with this. And that's why I wouldn't be surprised. I know they say we're, you know, Katie Wu, and we've referenced her a bunch of times because we want to trade the Cardinals prospects so bad. But Katie Wu told us you can't trade them. I, I do wonder if that if that vibe changes as you know, reality sets in a little bit here that this team is special. Arenado's playing on another level now. Let's think about making uh, an all-in move and win it with Albert Pujols, Yachty, and Wayno. And you know, sentimental thing aside, Edmonds playing at a higher level. Again, Arenado's playing MVP level. You've got a crazy team. And if Tyler O'Neill gets it going, how couldn't you put the chips forward and say, you know, let's trade one of our top guys and let's go get an impact big leaguer. Um, so Libby, I, I just want to point this out because I know that you're not anti Libby curveball, but the Libby curveball doesn't really play that well. And like his other pitches are better than that curveball. It's like what we saw from Mackenzie Gore, right? Like he had that pretty curveball, but the slider and changeup were better. Same thing yeah. with Kershaw. The slider's always been better, but the curveball has been the prettier one. Liberator has the pretty curveball and Rob Friedman loved the pretty curveball on Saturday and all the, all the broadcasts loved the pretty curveball. And that's what he got Chavis on for his first major league strikeout. Great. You see that Liberator looping curveball. Kid Brian Hayes hit a ball at 110 miles an hour off that curveball. Yeah. Liberator threw 30 sinkers, 25 curveballs and nine sliders. The slider is the better pitch than the curveball. He threw 25 curveballs. He threw nine sliders. You can't do that. You so, can't survive there. You know what floored me uh, when I was looking back at the other starts is he, he was successful at the end of last year using the slider uh, and phasing out the curveball a little bit. And then you go back this year. What he's doing now is throwing the curveball more again Why? and using it more in, in, you know, almost backward spots. So early in the count, he's spotting the curveball uh, behind in the count. He's stealing strikes with the curveball, which is when that's a great pitch, right? A 12-6 curveball and a 2-0 count, you get the hitter to shut that down. You can just rainbow that thing in for a strike most of the time, you know, but that's not a pitch that's going to get you out of 2-2 counts or big jams or whatever. And Libby has nothing else he can trust. Once the hitter sees that curveball a couple times and you're able to work deep into a count, you're comfortable enough that, you know, he's not going to get you with any other pitch. And especially when you see him the second time and the third time, that's how big league hitters feel. And guess what, dude? He got five whiffs in that game. Four of them were from the curveball, which, again, he threw the second most. Uh, and then one was from the slider, which he threw a quarter of the time uh, compared to the, to the curveball. He threw it 16 less times. So that, that, that's really what it looks like to me. And, yeah, I, I just really – I don't know if he's ever going to, to really be able to succeed without using that slider more. Uh, I think he's capable of being really good. He's still only 22, but that's why, again, I, I'm curious what you think of my original point, Jack, of why not 
put the chips forward here and make a trade. You're hoping Libby's going to develop into a three. Why not try and go get yourself a three with Libby and somebody else? You have to. And um, it sucks that Frankie Montas went down on Saturday night. Um, he got hit with a comebacker and his hand was, you know, I, I think he just got hit very hard in his hand. So we'll see what that looks like. Um, I didn't see anything on Twitter yesterday, but you know, like that's the guy like Frankie Montas is the guy for you. Um, Luis Castillo is within the division. I also think Montas is better and more reliable than Luis Castillo is. I think Castillo is better when he's on, but I think Frankie Montas's floor is a lot higher than Castillo's. Um, and, and I'm kind of selling low ish on Tyler Malley at the moment. Like, I don't think Malley is the guy that you unload the system for. I think Montas was the guy. So if Frankie Montas is healthy, you got to figure out a way to go get him. You got to figure out a way to go get a legitimate starter, especially if Matt's just left a game four pitches in. I've never seen a guy leave an outing four pitches in. Never. Because something's going to go wrong in the 50 warm-up pitches that you throw before that. He wanted to give it a try. He wanted to give it a try, and I I guarantee he wasn't feeling right before that. There's no way. No shot. shot. And and this is the crazy thing is, is, you know, I think Matt's was a guy that, you know, really at once had a lot of promise had a good bounce back year has proven that when healthy, he's a big league back of the rotation arm that is solid. And in a nutshell, four years for 44 for a back end of the rotation arm. That's not bad, but giving four years to a guy that has almost been hurt every single year of his career blows my yeah. mind. And now again, you're tied up here, go get a starter with control. You can find one. Maybe it's not going to happen right now, but when the market starts to open up a little more as we get closer to July, Jack, how are you not going to get one of these arms to, to just move into the to the mix here? You have to. And I don't know what that looks like. Like Lars Newbar just had a three homer game in Memphis yesterday. He's a big league bat and you can you can pack use it him. Too. You use don't him need to- him. So use him. Mason, Mason wins playing out of his mind. He's a trade chip. You can use him. Dude, Lars Nupar and Mason Wynn can get you a very good pitcher just by those two. That's what I'm thinking, too. You don't really even need to trade your, your three main guys. Have you seen what Alec Burleson was doing, you know, early in the year? Juan Yepes is proving that he can hit at the big league level. You're not going to let that guy stop you from getting somebody. I like Yepes, but like you can make a trade here. You can trade a lot of different guys and put together a decent package. I feel like they have to. I feel like they will. There's no urgency right now when they're, they're still winning some ball games and playing pretty well. But I don't think you should be going, you know, playing back and forth with your young 22-year-old best pitching prospect at the moment. I just don't think that's the best thing for his development. Okay, so they're experimenting in the rotation right now with Liberator. They're also experimenting with what's going on in the middle infield. And Tommy Edmond is playing a teensy bit of short. I saw him play center on Saturday um, when Dylan Carlson got lifted with hamstring tightness, but Carlson was good. Bader's back, thankfully. Uh, but it, right now, it looks like Nolan Gorman's going to get some serious run. What do you think of Nolan Gorman so far? Dude, my perspective hasn't changed. I mean, I'm really happy he's off to a great start, and I hope it yeah. goes well, and I hope I'm wrong. And I, you know, again, I hope he shoves it up my you-know-what. I, I think he's going to have great spots. I think he's going to have good moments. I think it's very clear that he has power. But, again, we see a lot of guys with, with flaws in their approach, uh, flaws in their swing, get off to hot starts because they're super freakishly gifted, and then they get picked apart, a la Jesus Sanchez, right? Jesus Sanchez, extremely gifted, crazy power, yeah. crazy bat speed, gets off to a great start. Then the league realizes, oh, all we have to do is this to get him out, you know, and with Jesus Sanchez is let him expand the zone. You know, with Gorman, it's 
elevated heat or just throw with your left hand. You know, yeah. so if, if it's either of those two things, he's in trouble. You know, I, I saw the lefty come in for Gorman, walked him on four pitches. Like the, they're already they're already a little bit knowledgeable of that. So I want to be wrong. I hope Gorman figures it all out at that level. But if you see a guy striking out 34% of the time in AAA and struggling with velo and dramatic splits lefty versus right, why are we, why do we have this, I guess, just magical idea that that's going to change now at the highest level in the world of baseball, if it was happening at the level below that. Yeah. To me, it's just kind of mental gymnastics, wishful thinking. Again, it's happened before where a guy has something click for him at the big league level but it's most likely not going to happen. And I think it's kind of just ambitious to pretend that he's going to figure it out all of a sudden. So I, I offered a thought uh, last week, I want to say early last week, right before the call-up happened, when they optioned a young down to Memphis. Um, and I, I said, I, I think it's time you got to give Nolan Gorman a shot and you got to give Gorman a chance at second base, Edmund a chance at short. And I know you pushed back for a little bit. You were like, why? Like, why slow this guy down? You know, he still has more to figure out much like how I feel about watching O'Neill Cruz every day in Indy. Like he's got more to figure out in AAA, but you know, if you are in a winning mindset and you feel like at present moment, Nolan Gorman gives you the best chance to win with Edmund at short. I felt like you had to do it. And it looks like John Moselak knows that they have to do it. Yeah. So, you know, the more, I, the more I thought about it. And again, like I'm looking at it through just like a player evaluation lens, right. In a nutshell, and if Nolan Gorman in a totally neutral universe, you know, no other pushes and pulls or influences, this might impede his progression. Yes. Yeah. But, and that's the way I, I, sometimes I'm too deep into that mindset, which is, which is where I need you to pull me out of it. You're player centered. Yeah. Player centered. Right. So then I thought about it the other day. And especially after I was like, okay, you know, where's Jack coming from on this? And I was like, okay. In a world where you can pull up Nolan Gorman from AAA with whatever hitting coaches they have there, and it's very hit or miss, no pun intended, with with many of the minor league hitting coaches, and I don't yeah. know what the situation is there. But and a lot of guys have hit well there, so maybe he's good. But regardless, you can pull this guy up. You can protect him in the right spots, put him part of a winning team, and be surrounded by big league hitting coaches, big league information, and oh, yeah, the one of the greatest right-handed hitters of all time. Uh, a guy in Yadier Molina who, you know, isn't known for hitting, but you know what? Two phenomenal offensive career can teach you a lot. And then Nolan Arenado, Paul Goldschmidt, like some of the best just all-around hitters in the game, power-wise and contact-wise, all around this young guy. And you can keep him away from lefties. And you can, you know, pinch hit for him when a guy's throwing 102. I still think he can give you enough pop in the right situations from the left side. And you know what? Maybe that influence is good for his progression because I don't think anything was going to change at at AAA. He's going to always strike out a third at the time and hit a ton of home runs. Something might click with some of the best hitters of all time on his team. So um, we talk a lot about how talent can help you out, like just talent on other rosters. And we talk about that with minor league guys often. Like if you are surrounded by very good hitters or very good pitchers and you are a pitcher or a hitter, you will get better just by picking shit up from very talented people. There is um, a 50% or higher chance each time Nolan Gorman takes BP that he's in a BP group with a future Hall of Famer, whether it be Albert Pujols or possibly Yadier Molina or or Nolan Arenado. Like, that is beautiful company to be around. So he can walk up to Nolan Arenado and say, hey, Nolan, you're obviously playing out of your mind right now. I have a question about what I'm doing here. And the guys that are the best on the planet at this are so good at teaching too. Like I've heard some of these teaching techniques that a JD Martinez will use. How about the Miguel Cabrera one, right? Where, where he told somebody like, 
hey, um, you know, go look at my swing. Tell me what I did wrong here. Go told a rookie. Have you heard that story before? No, I don't think so. I'm, I'm blanking on where I heard that story, but there, there was a rookie that Miggy was playing with one of his first years in Detroit. And Miggy um, had like grounded out. And he went up to this rookie who was DHing that day. And he said, do me a favor. In the next couple innings, look back at my swing and tell me what I did wrong. And it, like Miggy knew exactly what he did wrong, obviously, but he wanted this rookie to learn. He wanted this rookie to see what Miggy saw in the swing. And he told him, he said, you're exactly right. He went up, he had a bomb the very next at bat. I, I'm blanking on where I heard this story, but that's the type of shit you hear about a lot of the best hitters in the game. They are phenomenal teachers of hitting. And I think Gorman is surrounded by phenomenal hitting teachers. A hundred percent. And so I have, I have another example of this too, is, you know, funny enough, when Barry Bonds was playing, I don't think Barry Bonds took the time very often to go teach that way. Just he's not, I don't think he ticks the same way as, as, as Miguel Cabrera in that regard. But if you remember, I mean, the, the Marlins hired Barry Bonds to be a hitting instructor for yeah. a year. So he was forced to instruct. And even then did not, you know, the reports were that he didn't do his job uh, as to his frequently effort-wise high of a level as, you know, a lot of people would have expected out of somebody that's a hitting coach because he's Barry freaking Mons. But, and again, it's just guys that did it at a crazy, ridiculous level are capable of being able to give other extremely talented players little cues that can unlock everything, right? And I think we saw what that looked like for Christian Yelich, and he attributes specific drills and thoughts that Bonds gave him. Ozuna, the same thing. Um, and we saw what happened with Ozuna, how he exploded and became this just offensive weapon. Uh, it's pretty amazing how the right instruction, the right situations can, can really impact the player's career. So yeah, I'm more open to the idea now, but I, I, I will circle it all back to say, don't be surprised if he's hitting in the low 200 by the end yeah. of this year. I still like him long-term. It's just very early and, and he still has a lot to learn. hundred percent. And I think the Cardinals know that they are at risk of impeding Nolan Gorman's progress as a hitter, but they're, they're trying to win them. baseball right now. Yeah. And he can you help. Know. Yeah. And I'm, you are that player-centered mind. I'm that uptight, you know, business uh, suit and tie guy, right? That doesn't really care about the players' feelings. All I care about is the business and the on-field production. You don't watch the games, right? I was saying. I don't watch the, the games. Real GMs don't watch the games. They yeah, just, we learned that from Brad Pitt. Um, yes. Yeah. Hey, speaking of Barry Bonds, real quick, though, I want to walk you through uh, Albert Pujols by day in 2022. What's the sample size here? Like four games? Um, so six games on Sunday. Okay. Albert Pujols on Sunday is slashing 353, 500, 941. His next best day is Tuesdays. Three games, he's five for nine with a homer and a double. <laughs> but aside from that, he's two for 10 on Wednesdays. He's one for 17 on Thursdays. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, brutal. He's that guy one... away from Thursday. You know why? Travel days, right? He's all creaky. Yep. And... But no, does he travel after the game on Thursday? Uh, no, Thursday is Thursday is usually the game one of a four game set okay. or it's game four of a four game set travel days for his like creaky joints. Yeah, know, no, like his altitude. Yes. Yeah. hundred <laughs> percent. He's a rocking chair guy. Um, but yeah, on Saturdays, he's over seven on Sundays. He is six for 17 with three bombs and nine driven in. So how about that? And then lefty righty splits. What do you think those his OPS? Are, 
what do you think his OPS against lefties is? It's got to be over a thousand. It's twelve thirty one. Yeah. What the? Yeah. What do you what think is, his OPS how, against righties is? It had to go up because I was at the game where I watched him have played pick up three hits against righties. Uh, I'm gonna guess it's probably at around six hundred. It's five fifty four. Okay. So he's got a five fifty OPS against righties and a twelve thirty OPS against lefties. How many? How many ABs against lefties? Against lefties, he's got twenty two ABs, forty three against righties. It's pretty amazing. I mean, like again, if you're into the lefty platoon dh thing he's a dog like he can still be valuable he's your guy be valuable here's the thing i'm all for these guys riding off into the sunset so i want to see them have the best years possible i've always been that way i'm amped up on everything miggy's given us already this year uh but four home runs now on the season puts him at 683 pujols to 683 it's almost impossible right but i'm loving him just giving us even a glimmer of hope i hope he hits a couple more next week and just give us a shred, a little glimmer Dude. of hope that he can do it. More position players. We need more position players on the mound. More position players on the mound, and Pujols will get all of them because that swing's perfect. He's never missing. When it's a position player, if it's a position player on the mound, uh, here, this, this is the best way I would put it. Position player on the mound, throwing it over the middle, like walks aren't included here, or a Ben Simmons free throw, and you need Pujols to hit a home run, I would take Pujols out of 100, hitting more home runs, from a position player fastball down the middle, then Ben Simmons out of a hundred free throws. Yeah. Okay. That's super niche. I, I need to think about that a little bit more. I need that to just like, I hope the listener can like pause that and think about it. A hundred grooved fastballs down the middle from a position player. I think more out of a hundred would be hit out by Albert Pujols over the wall. than Ben Simmons free throws out of a hundred with people in the stands. With people in the stands. That's Absolutely the big caveat. Cause <laughs> I'm sure he's Larry bird with, with an empty gym. Correct. That's, yeah. That's kind of where, where I'm at. So yeah, position players every time we might as well book a home run. Um, Pujols' swing is perfect. He can do that probably till he can't walk anymore. Yeah. I I'm in on that. Um, who else we got to hit? Rowanzi Contreras is, is coming back up to Pittsburgh. Finally, they need a little bit more juice in that rotation. They need a lot of bit more juice pretty much everywhere, but it, it can start with Rowanzi Contreras. Yeri De Los Santos is also coming up. Bednar is going to be the closer, but I've been texting you about Yeri De Los Santos. This guy is gross. Absolutely gross. And it's not like he's 99-100. That's Christopher Melendez, who you watched on opening night. And you were like, oh, my God, who is this he's cat? disgusting. Um, Melendez is, is a low effort 100, much like Bruce Dark Gratterall. Um, but Yeri De Los Santos is a mid-90s fastball, but he gets so much extension. He works down on the mound everything runs and bites. It's just disgusting. And you're going to see this guy make his major league debut out of the bullpen. And it's going to be foul. Yeah. I mean, one, seven, two ERA striking out 11 and a half per nine, walking 1.1 per nine in triple a that's, that's disgusting. And again, he's only 24 years old. This is my thing. This is why you always trade relievers trade David Bednar at the deadline, man. You will get a top 100 guy for him. Oh like, yeah, you will get a top 100 prospect for a reliever who look Bednar could build a build off build out a phenomenal career as a reliever. But how often do these guys peak and then we're like, oh, you should have sold high and you didn't. You can replace them because there's so many freaks now, like Gary De Los Santos coming up, who could be a closer and end up putting up the same special. I think he could be a really good back end guy for a long time. What is a closer doing for you right now? Like if you're the Pittsburgh Pirates or, or a team adjacent to them, trade the relievers. Always cash in on the relievers. Yeah, always. I mean, Rick, Richard Rodriguez, like you got something back for Rich Rod, right? 
Yeah, they did. I forget and- what the exact trade was, but they got prospects. Like, look at where that guy is now. You couldn't, you couldn't give him away. If, if it required the roster spot, nobody would want him. So, like, you got prospects back for Richard Rodriguez. That's a no-brainer because look yeah, at what so- happened. He fell straight down. He fell straight down. And and then you look at the converse and like, you know, you see what Pittsburgh did with Clay Holmes, where they sent him to New York and Hoy Park came back as like the main piece of that. And Clay Holmes is is borderline like I best reliever in baseball right now. Just wear those like wear them on the chin because that doesn't happen often at all. More often you see Richard Rodriguez. Well, I mean, I always look back at the, and I, you know, I'm not a huge Jesus Sanchez fan, but like the Marlins got a guy that has a legitimate upside as, you know, a big time bat. And I know Nick Anderson had great spurts, but they got, they got Jesus Sanchez for Nick Anderson. He hasn't know, been healthy. He hasn't been healthy. He's a reliever at an indie ball that's had arm troubles in the past. And like, he wasn't, hasn't been healthy. And the Marlins had a chance at a guy that could still develop into a good bat. Don't love his chances, but I mean, it's a no brainer. You're getting a young bat with upside for a reliever who now can't stay healthy. Like relievers are so replaceable. The Rays prove it every year. That's why the Rays never pay their relievers. You sell high, you replace. You build up, you sell high, you replace. And now you have endless assets and value just continuing to be maximized. It's pretty genius. And it's what the Rays do. And it's honestly, the Dodgers do it too. Yeah. You see the Dodgers do it in a lot of ways too. They will never really go out and pay the, the reliever the insane amount. I mean, we saw them, you know, be comfortable with letting somebody go recently, huh? Yeah, no, you see what they just did uh, in terms of extending Trinan too? Yeah. Trinan, they picked up his option for next year, and then they added um, not a vested option. They added something in, in 2024 as the sirens whirl by my apartment. It sounds like I'm in New York City. I'm yeah, not. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, I thought those were mine. I thought those were on my end. But, yeah, they're never – like, when's the last time they've given that guy that, like, four-year deal for the bullpen? Ooh, I, don't, I don't think they have. Other than Kenley, right? Like Kenley got the deal, but and it was worth it. Yeah, because he's he's a off out of the you know out of this world young athletic good guy. But like, when else are they doing that? So I don't even some of baseball's best teams don't really do it. Um, again, maybe you do it for the superstar closer. But also one more thing, just circling back to Matt's, um, I I saw somebody put out a good graphic on on Twitter that was the combined numbers and production of Kevin Gosman and Yusei Kikuchi the two guys that Toronto brought in versus the two guys that Toronto let walk Matt's yeah. and Robbie Ray. And it's night and day. Granted, a lot of that is Gosman, but you say Kikuchi has been pretty solid so far this year. And then you're looking at Ray who has been super underwhelming and Matt's who yet again, just threw four pitches. So you talk about smart front offices and extending who they want to extend the Jays aced the off season in the rotation. The Jays know what they're doing, man. I, I it's funny. Cause the Gosman, you know, Robbie Ray thing, it, it was, such like the, the, the instant switch that and with similar amount of money that you're thinking about it. And you're like, this is going to be really interesting. You're going to have to compare these guys the whole year. Just naturally, they got a similar amount of money, you know, a team had to decide between the two of them. And uh, you knew that the naturally they're going to be compared to each other. And it's not even close. It's it's not even, it's not even a comparison anymore. It's not even worth talking about outside of the fact that it's funny to talk about. No, one of them is a Cy Young front runner and it's not the reigning Cy Young award winner. Yes. It's, it's insane. Um, and, and one last thing I wanted to bring up too on my end was I just love checking in on F war and just waiting for it to normalize. Yeah. And so I'll look at it, you know, and, and just continue to wait for it to normalize to a degree. It's starting to normalize a little bit, Jack. I mean, you look at the top 15 guys, it's mostly guys you would expect. Um, and, and guess what? Tim Anderson, even despite, you know, some of the inconsistencies on the other side of the ball, he's 15th 
um, in F4, which is only behind Jeremy Pena, Mookie Betts, Brandon Nimmo, Paul Goldschmidt, Freddie Freeman, all guys you would expect in there. Nimmo when he's really clicking, you know, not surprising, but one of the more surprising guys. Jazz Chisholm Jr. at nine. Yeah. Tommy Edmond at eight. Arenado at seven. Jose Ramirez at six. Devers at five. All guys you'd expect. Judge at four. Trout at three. Taylor Ward at two. And that's a whole thing. And then Manny Machado at one. Dude. What is the most, and not surprising, what is the most abnormal thing? So I think what I'm saying to you is, what is the thing you're expecting to not be there when you check back in a month? Who are you expecting to just drop out of there? Um, you, the answer could be nobody. But what are you, are you expecting anybody to, to drop out of there by the time you check in in a month? Like, I want to see what Jeremy like, oh, normalized. Yeah, I want to see what Jeremy Pena does offensively. Like, I feel like this is still overperforming a little bit for Jeremy Pena. And I think he's really good. I don't think he's a top 15 war guy as a rookie, uh, but he could be because the defense he, is yeah. that good. We know that uh, Taylor Ward's not too like he's not not he's, too, but I'm saying like falling out of the, the, the he's, leaderboard. He's still going to be top 15 in a month. Like, y- y- listen, you've broken down the swing. Like he looks like a legitimate swinger. Like he looks yes. like a very comfortable hitter. He's good, man. I, I'm, I'm pretty sold on what we saw. Yeah. She's naturally going to fade from 370, yeah. but I mean like this swing, he, he had been incrementally making the adjustments again. If you go look at our uh, hitter stock watch, yeah. put out a pitching version of that, checking in on the stock of a lot of the guys we just talked about. And like based on the stock rising or stock falling, who we're buying or selling the struggles on um, and, you know, whether we expect it to continue. And Taylor Ward obviously was like, he's not going to keep doing what, he, what he's doing to this degree. But I'm very sold on Taylor Ward being legitimate, really, really good French all-star hitter. And, and that sounds crazy, but last year he got closer to figuring it out and above, above average offensive season. And again, was making changes. You could see different swing, different swing each year, got closer to where he is now. And then finally it all clicked for him. And, and it just looks amazing this year. It's starting to look very legit to me. Real quick. I almost forgot Sandy. I, I brought up Sandy. Just last thing I want to hit on is Sandy. I Taylor Ward. Great. Yes, I agree with you. Um, but I, sorry, just to wrap up that thought, but um I, Sandy Alcantara, dude, he just what threw a complete game today. Yeah. Um, and, and when it looked like it might go bad at the end, you know, struggled, left a couple of fastballs over the middle, got out of it. So now in three consecutive outings, he went seven innings, eight innings, nine innings. So, you know, I mean, 24 innings in your last three outings, you're averaging eight innings, you know, an outing. That's stupid. And, and, and he didn't get any help defensively today. So no earned runs, even though there were three runs allowed because of the errors behind him. Pretty, pretty insane, man. I mean, this guy's starting to click again. Uh, he, he got off to a little bit of a bad start command wise. Now is all like in sync. And I mean, it, this is a guy that we forget still just 26. He could end up being one of the best in the game and he's a horse. That's my, so this is my question on Sandy for you. He's not going to be in the top three. I don't think in ERA when the season's over, I just, he's too much pitch to contact. You know, yeah. I, I think he's always going to be a, a low threes guy, maybe sneak just under the threes, but he's going to give you so many innings. So my question is, if he is way ahead of everybody else, let's say he goes 230 innings this year, or 225 innings, but his ERA is about 0.3 points higher. Like he's a 3-1-0, and one of the leaders is 2-7-5. How much stock do we put in a guy throwing 230 innings? I know where you're going with this. You know that I am – I'm a, a tad old school in this stuff. 
I say give him the nod over a guy that threw 190 innings with an ERA that's, you know, a third of a run better if, if we're voting on the Cy Young Award. We're not talking about um, – like, to, to me, yeah, it's just, it, it's just such a no-brainer. We're not talking about wins. We're talking about actual innings completed. We're talking about a guy that is just a walking quality start. Yeah. Like there are three guys in Major League Baseball right now that I think once we get into the summertime – four guys – Four guys that I think in Major League Baseball that when we get into the summertime are going to be walking quality starts. It's going to be Sandy. It's going to be Walker Bueller. Correct. It's going to be Kevin Gosman. And it's going to be Joe Musgrove. Oh, you missed one. Who? Justin Verlander. Yeah, Verlander. I yeah, think Verlander's right. still Fine. a walking <laughs> quality Verlander start. Out. He is. That's crazy. Walking quality starts. Five. Alcantara, Musgrove, Gosman, Bueller, Verlander. Those are going to be the five. And I place so much value in that. You forgot Tanner Houck. I'm good. <laughs> Thanks, though. <laughs> Is that fair? Yeah. Christian Javier soon. Yeah, Javier, best swing man in the game. <laughs> <laughs> he looks good, too. I like Framber Valdez, too. I do. I think Framber is, is a guy that could go eight, but he's not going to do it every time out. No, he's, he, he's, he's similar, though, with the pitch to contact and then swing and miss when you need it, which I love. Yeah, I love it. Um, we head south today. Yeah, we do. We do. Hopefully, I won't miss my flight or something. I'm, I'm, I'm on, like, a, a pretty bad missed flight streak. So, God. you know, we'll see how it goes. I already see the fear in your eyes. We'll see. Get your head out of your ass, man. Uh, it's going to be good. We're going br- to be bringing you content all week long and in the week following as well. Um, going to Braves Phillies just as fans tonight. Uh, tomorrow, you and I hit the SEC baseball tournament in Hoover, Alabama. Tomorrow on Wednesday, I'm so er, I'm so excited to take in some high quality college baseball. Uh, and we're going to be you know recording swings, recording deliveries, and all that stuff. And we'll be breaking that shit down. And then a ton of prospect interviews when we go to Biloxi. We're seeing Biloxi take on Montgomery. That's the Double A for the Brewers and the Rays. And then we wrap the week Saturday, Sunday in Pensacola for Pensacola in Mississippi. That's the Marlins and the Braves double A. Yeah. So like you said, ton of player interviews, some really cool content, um, some interviews that we'll have on the call up, maybe even some stuff up we'll spill over onto here. Um, but definitely subscribe to the call up to keep up, keep up on there. And then on the YouTube as well, because I think we're going to do, we don't really know where it's all going to go. You know, we, we have, we know a lot of the different guys around there, uh, whether on the media side or the player side. So like, we're just going to kind of be out there, hang out and see how it goes and shoot some stuff. And, you know, I, I think there's, those are the times where I'm the most excited to see what happens. And I do know one thing that we are definitely going to do is a live stream on, um, on the loop app, which, you know, my buddy Griffin Conine with the Marlins double a, uh, is, and, and a couple other guys potentially will be hopping on. And if, if you just download the loop app, not only do you get the $20 free credit um, that the link is in our description, but you also can jump into this live stream and ask, you know, a couple different guys in the minor leagues, just whatever questions you want and just kind of chat it up. And we're just going to be ripping some cards, talking shop and, you know, answering questions. So I know the guys are excited to do that because they're always looking for things to break up the monotony. Um, so any prospect questions you got, you can even ask them, you know, who the nastiest pitchers are you faced. That's always interesting to me talking about some of the other double A top guys, but um, I think that'll be a lot of fun. So the links in the description, if you use that link specifically, you'll also get the $20 credits. Somebody just told me that they, they pulled a uh, Khalil Watson out of two ninety nine. Speaking of um, Marlins farmhands autograph, okay. I think that's worth like 800 bucks. So um yeah, it's cool. So you can rip the cards or you can come hang out and uh, ask some minor leaguers some questions, but we'll be on there um, on the 30th, but download that app whenever. 
Hundred percent. All right, guys. Uh, that'll be me and Peter talking to you tomorrow on the Just Baseball Show. But yeah, keep it locked on uh, YouTube. Keep it locked at the call up on the podcast channel, and of course, all of our social medias for content from the Deep South. A lot of fried food for Arm and I this week. Pete and I will talk to you tomorrow. Thank you.